The nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And today we're talking about soul health, what nurses need to know, and all of the rest of you that are out there too, but uh, how healthcare goes, we know how this, this works. So as nurses and healthcare practitioners, we are well aware of how important self-care is for our patients and our clients, but not so great at taking care of ourselves often. So still, most of us do give some efforts to better food, exercise, probably sleep, and and some sort of religious practice. But how often do we really take time to deal with our deepest need, spirituality, and soul health? My guest today spends a lot of time thinking, teaching, and writing about it. Dr. Katherine Kelly has written a best-selling book called Soul Health, Aligning with Spirit for Radiant Living. Uh, there's, this is actually her second edition. And uh, this has been featured on over 300 national, international radio shows and in various health, wellness, and spiritual magazines. So Dr. Kelly uses her own integrative framework, the Soul Health Model, with which she approaches her work with clients from a psycho-spiritual perspective. She provides a uniquely progressive yet down-to-earth approach to healing and is well-known in both the therapeutic and medical communities. She thrives as she helps clients reach what she calls consciousness evolution through a variety of self-designed methods in coaching and consultation. Please welcome with me Dr. Katherine Kelly. Dr. Kelly. Hi there, Leanne. Yes, Hi. I'm so glad to be here tonight. I am so happy you're here, too. Um, so tell us about, like, how you got uh, interested in healthcare and then how you came to be passionate about this particular topic. So it's actually a little bit of an ironic uh, part of the story and evolution um, because I, I heard what you said basically about healthcare providers being really sort of terrible at taking care of themselves. So way back in my training, my master's training for becoming a counseling psychology um, uh, uh, professional, uh, what happened for me was at the very same time that I started my counseling psychology program, I started a job at Student Health Promotion in the same university. And so in the program, I was leaning, learning about sickness, and in the student health promotion department, I was learning about wellness. Mm. So it was this really interesting irony that as I was learning to become a healthcare practitioner, I was, uh, we weren't really looking at the whole health portion of a person. We were looking at the sickness and how to deal with symptoms. And so what was really fun was that, and, and synchronistic is that I was taking what I was learning when I was working for a student health promotion and started using that as uh, my own method of creating an intake with clients and looking at the whole person and also really investing in their overall health versus just the psychological symptoms that I was being trained to uh, work with. And so it was this interesting evolution because as time went on, I realized that uh, my clients were getting better, faster. They were feeling much more kind of uh, holistically taken care of. Mm -hmm. And um, it it, it was just wonderful because a lot of my colleagues that were in training weren't really having the same results. (laughs) So that had to feel good. Yeah, well, it was was just wonderful because I started delving much deeper into what I call the soul health of a person, meaning, um, you know, people ask me what the soul is, and it's not a religious term as far as I'm concerned. To me, Mm -hmm. the soul is the essence of who we are, and if we don't learn to take care of all parts of who we are, well, then we're not going to feel that essence of radiance and that, Mm -hmm. that experience of being aligned. I use the word alignment a lot. Mm-hmm. So what I what I didn't know in my training uh, 
was basically coming through in the work that I was doing in my job. Mm-hmm. So, a uh, great benefit. It was fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. I, I, I basically credit that job for uh, basically all of my uh, success beyond my degree and then also my books and my speaking. And um, so, it it's, was a really great experience. Yeah, that's so interesting how something uh, presents itself as relatively mundane and then actually takes on a whole other part to it. But I think um, part of that is also being open to getting those little messages. And to me, that's part of, of that soul health or that essence of um, hearing what your yourself is telling you. And I think it's really remarkable that at that time when you were in a learning mode, that you could also recognize, oh, I have something um, that I'm seeing and I can share that's equally valuable. Yes. I was 23 years old when I started that program and started that job. And wow. I would say by the time I started my doctoral program when I was 25, I really understood that patient care had to be much deeper than we were being taught. Yes. And because, again, treating the whole person, but then also watching colleagues, um, mm-hmm. you know, go through their training, but like you said, not really taking care of themselves or their personal lives. And so, you know, I, I just, I think I was meant to do this work because I was put in the situation that really kind of illuminated all these different deeper factors of health that, um, that I think have been missing in traditional training. So I'd like to, you know, I know that in your book and a lot of the teaching that you're doing, you're actually offering um, ideas and thoughts and some uh, sharing uh, of how people can take care of themselves at this level a little bit better. And I know when I think of like meditation and some of those things, I'm thinking of hours of time. And I don't think that's what you're talking about. No, not at all. In fact, the first few chapters of the book outline not only the soul health model, but outline some very specific, easy, quick um, uh, approaches to going deep within, listening to, you know, what you need at that deep soul level, that essence of who you are, without it taking even 10 minutes. And so, you know, I think a lot of people, like you said, believe that they have to kind of be uh, yogis or meditation gurus (laughs) in order to tap into that deep part of them. But, you know, there are some very quick methods uh, that I teach that get people to that place in a very, you know, very brief amount of time. Can, Can you share some of those? Absolutely. And, you know, the very first one that I teach people, just because... They tend to know what I mean when I say this word, but I I start to teach people to start listening to their gut reactions because we have all had gut reactions that have told us to do something and we haven't done it. And then what happens is our lives become misaligned or vice versa. You know, our gut tells us not to do something and we do it anyway. (laughs) And, And then basically our kind of lives blow up. So the very mm-hmm. first thing that I teach people is to start tuning into their gut reaction and asking themselves such a simple question of what does my, uh, you know, for, for instance, if you're trying to get yourself to go exercise and you're tired, I, I try to encourage people to ask, what does my gut tell me to do, go exercise or stay home? And usually you can start tuning in. But the biggest challenge with that is that our head wants to talk us out of doing things that are good for us, Mm -hmm. whereas our soul, that gut reaction, answers in complete alignment with what we need at any given time. Hmm. So we can ask that yes-no question, but then what we have to do is really listen for that gut reaction versus the head reaction. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then actually do something about it. There's one thing yeah, to acknowledge. Through. Oh, yeah. yes, my gut is telling me I should really go. And nah, I think I'm just going to lay down. Yeah, we talk ourselves out of it, but then what do we yeah. do? We feel regret, we feel misaligned. But if we were to just open up and listen to that step-by-step process, our, mm-hmm. our soul, that gut reaction leads us down the right path every single time. 
I have to just, uh, you know, intervene here, too, as I hear you talk about gut reaction. Of course, we're hearing so much more about how much the gut does for us uh, in keeping us healthy and uh, maybe even getting us sick if we're not aligned, that um, this just fits right in with what I keep hearing more and more about. And uh, so it's interesting that for how many hundreds, thousands, who knows how many years we've talked about gut reaction, and it turns out that is exactly right. Right. And, you know, and and I'm right there with you, and I do a lot of holistic health and integrative health work with patients. And, you know, you also have to kind of introduce that idea of of the chakras, because the the chakras, you know, for those of you who know anything about energy medicine, um, there are several several chakras in in our bodies, but one of the main chakras is right in our gut region. Mm-hmm. And here's the interesting piece of this is that chakra is called the solar plexus chakra. That that chakra is all about listening to our truth and staying in our truth. Mm-hmm. So when people aren't listening to their gut reactions, they're, they're basically messing up, for lack of a better way of saying it, they're messing up their alignment with who they are. That's why we have those gut reactions that lead us you know, to believe, oh, man, I, I have regret here. I shouldn't have done that. So mm-hmm. it is interesting because gut health, and we're talking literally about you know, intestinal health, is so related to um, that gut reaction, but then also that, that chakra, you know, response. So, yeah, there's lots mm-hmm. of layers of this that are, are becoming very uh, much more mainstream than they ever were. So it's a wonderful time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it's, it's becoming more accepted. I think that as more and more people around the world are, are kind of finding that individually or independently uh, and then sharing it, it, it's like, oh, you found that too? Well, how about that? So mm-hmm. tell me more about what can be besides just checking in with the gut. Like I'm thinking about you know, somebody who's on um, a busy shift or a busy um, uh, place that they're working and don't feel like they have time to breathe or go to the bathroom. So how does one do that? And and what else can they do uh, to check well, in? Well, you actually use the word, yeah, you actually use the word breathe. And that was one of the other steps that I teach people. Now, I used to use this all of the time when I was a professor at the medical school. <laughs> Because you don't have time, a lot of times, just to sit long enough to to calm and, and calm your brain and tune in. So in mm-hmm. between meetings, I would do this breathing exercise where I'd basically just take a deep breath in and make an audible sigh. And that audible sigh, if you follow that audible sigh to that deepest part within you from where that that sound comes from, and start tuning into that and then start asking the questions, what do I need to do next? What is what is that young soul part of me or gut part of me telling me? But breathing is such a beautiful way of resetting our souls, you know, resetting mm. that that mm. that deep contact within us so that we can get that clarity. But we don't have to go sit down in lotus position and meditate for twenty minutes, <laughs> thirty minutes, three hours to do it. We can just be very intentional about breathing. And that audible sigh, that rumbling that we feel deep within us, actually helps tune us into that that sense of self. Yeah. Um, I I kind of, uh, my brain went off in another direction there for a second, but I was thinking about, I used to be a labor and delivery nurse, the the favorite job I've ever done. And um, what I realized was that I was frequently teaching uh, mothers in labor to use the breathing methods, but didn't tend to think of them as being something helpful for me until I started having chronic pain and um, lots of uh, difficulties uh, that I started thinking, hmm, maybe this is something I should be doing too. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, what's, what's funny about that, Leah, is that when I teach this um, method to clients in my office, and I actually do the breathing with them to show them and model for them. And, and it, it is interesting because whenever I do that with clients, a lot of times I'm like, oh, man, when was the last time I did this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's beneficial for me as well. 
when I'm, mm-hmm. you know, teaching people because it just reminds me to reset. I call it resetting my soul, resetting myself so that I can listen and tune in with myself. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think any teacher is actually a student when they hear words come out of their mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's actually true. Um and it and it it's just as funny to me that we separate ourselves from that. Um, we're coming up against a break, and I'm thinking maybe this is a good time to take the break. And uh, then when we come back, we can um, uh, keep going and maybe change topic just a little bit or um, uh, talk a little bit more or take a little bit deeper dive here. So uh, this is Leanne uh, Meyer, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. We're talking about soul health and what healthcare, particular, uh, particularly healthcare um uh, practitioners need to know about it, but especially nurses also. So I'm talking with Dr. Katherine Kelly, and we will be back in just a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact Senior Executive Producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Are you ready to live to 100? Join Dr. Joe Casciani and his program that shows us that age is just a number. You can age with fresh and inspiring perspectives, whether it's staying physically fit or keeping mentally fit. With great stories, plenty of advice about successful aging, and brighter outlooks, you just might join those who are living to 100. The Living to 100 Club is broadcast live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness you are listening to once a nurse always a nurse exploring the world of nursing with host leanne meyer to reach the program today please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer. I'm here today with Dr. Katherine Kelly, and she has become the expert on soul health. Um, that's kind of been the thing that she has hung her uh, practice on, and it has been very, very effective. She developed what she calls the soul health model. And I was thinking perhaps this might be a good time for us to learn how that framework works. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I, I'm a tree hugger. I love trees. Uh, and, you know, over the years, what I realized was that the wellness models that were out there were not sufficient to what I heard in therapy practice. Hmm. And so I actually created my own model that um, added four additional um, what I call branches um, because I did use the model of a tree in order to, you know, create this. A lot of people relate to trees, the tree of life, mm-hmm. uh, tree symbols, the trees are in perpetual growth, all that kind of stuff. And so what I did was I created this model that it, it has basically 10 key branches of the human condition that pretty much every one of us on this planet have to work through and and learn and balance in order to feel radiant. And I use the word radiant as far as helping people realize that, you know, when when we feel in balance, then we feel that radiance. We feel that alignment. We feel that um, sense of just, you know, the world is good. 
Mm-hmm. And the soul part of it is really the trunk of the tree, which is the core of the tree. And the, the core of the tree, again, is the essence of who we are. It's that soul part of us that helps to guide us and helps us to understand what each and every one of those branches is for us. And the whole concept is helping people look at the tree and, and understanding what do I need to clean out? In other words, what is not working for me in each and every one of those branches? And mm-hmm. then what do I need to fill up or nourish myself with so that you know, those branches are starting to fill out and, and become rich and, and full and uh, vibrant? And so, you know, the beautiful thing about this tree is, and this model is that once you understand the concept and you can glance right at it, you can understand, again, in probably 10 seconds or less what it is that you might need to kind of tweak or work on that particular day in order to feel closer and closer to that radiance or closer and closer to that sense of well-being. So Mm -hmm. it's a very user-friendly model. Um, I jokingly say if uh, I ever got a tattoo, it would be of this model because I'd never get tired (laughs) of this model. Um, And, uh, you know, I've had, you know, person after person, whether it's a workshop participant or a patient or a client, basically say that it gives them the blueprint to create the life they want. Hmm. So talk about the branches. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to do is outline the six branches that are from the National Wellness Institute's model, and that is sort of the um, the model that's been out there the longest, mm-hmm. and um, it was actually created in 1959, and so okay. their, their model is a wheel, and they call it the wellness wheel, and it includes physical wellness, psychological, social, intellectual, environmental, and uh, they actually came back and added spiritual later. Mm. So it's, it's those six, basically. But what I started realizing when I was working with clients is that there were four additional branches that, to me, came up very often in therapy, but were never really fully talked about in the National Wellness Institute's model. And the first thing I did was I separated out social from interpersonal. And so, to me, the social branch is the warm bodies in our lives. So, Mm -hmm. the friends, the family, the coworkers, the neighbors, the coffee barista, the, uh, to me, dogs, cats, anything, you know, (laughs) animals are a big part of my life. So, any warm Mm -hmm. body in our life. Whereas, to me, the interpersonal, which was not talked Mm -hmm. about very much in the National Wellness Institute's model, um, interpersonal is the dynamics we have with those warm bodies. So in other words, we can have people in our life, which is our social branch, that does not mean that we have healthy dynamics with them. So being a psychologist, you know, I would say 90%, if not more, of what people come in talking about is about interpersonal health. Mm-hmm. And that's why I created a branch specifically for, you know, that aspect of health. And the other three that I added basically we're financial health because nobody feels healthy if they don't feel like their finances are in in alignment. Um, Mm -hmm. Sexual health. Mm -hmm. Because again, if there's something um, that has been traumatic in the past or something that is causing you physical concerns and so you can't really be sexual and that's a big part of your life, um, it's just a big part of the essence of who a person is. So I added that branch. And then last but absolutely not least is the recreational branch. Mm -hmm. And you know, I jokingly say, although this isn't all joking, when I was uh, first thinking about writing books 20-some years ago, I, I basically said, I think the first book has to be about teaching adults to play again because we are way too serious. Mm-hmm. And yet, strangely enough, that was the last branch I added to my tree. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it kind of woke me up to realize, okay, I'm falling into that, that adulthood. Um, but if you think about it, if fun and leisure is not a part of our lives, the rest of our lives are pretty um, taxing on us. So I wanted to make sure that I added that branch and emphasized how important fun and, how important fun and leisure are. Mm-hmm. It was actually something that I found on my own. I uh, kind of morphed from a pretty fun-loving kid, I think, into um, a very, very responsible adult. And um, at one point, I really realized that 
something was very off. I felt like some aspect of my inner self was pulling me away from getting all those things done that I needed to do and doing them perfectly. And someone suggested that I pull out a picture from uh, my childhood. And so I pulled out one that I really didn't like very well from when I was five years old. And I, when during my meditation time that I do every day, um, I would think about that child as though it was somebody different than me. And what I finally found was that uh, when I could look at her as as somebody completely different that I just met on the street somewhere, um, (laughs) I began to realize that she was the one, that five-year-old is the one that had been messing up all of my great perfection. And it dawned on me that she wanted me to play, and I didn't want to play. And so when I figured that out and I said, okay, I'll listen to you. And all of a sudden, a lot of the internal um, dissonance, I guess, that had been going on would be gone when I would get that little urge inside. Oh, there's a slide or there's a swing. Maybe I should go do that. Or how about an ice cream cone right now? And that, that was it. A lot of that kind of stuff just kind of went away when she realized I would listen to her. I would give her what she wanted. You know, and Leanne, that's, that's such a great segue, too, because in the book, I also talk about the fact that, that our soul's most natural state is of joy and contentment. Mm. And yet, if we are not allowing that into mm-hmm. our lives, we are not going to feel well. We are not going to feel healthy. And I'm going to use the example of um, food and emotional eating, because in mm-hmm. our country, we use food as joy. Mm-hmm. And yet, I do a lot of work with clients about weight and emotional eating, and I help them realize <clears throat> excuse me, that one of the reasons we use food in our country is that we are not allowing joy into our lives otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so specifically for healthcare workers who are overcommitted to helping others and not helping themselves, it's not unusual at all for them to go home and eat because it's the quickest, um, most reliable and consistent form of finding some sort of comfort. Mm-hmm. And so and- this is how this comes full circle is that if the joy, if, if the soul's most natural state is joy, and we are trying to fill that artificially with food, then we are going to negatively impact the rest of our branches rather than going mm-hmm. straight to, oh, wow, what is it that brings me joy? Like playing on that swing or you know, going yeah. for an ice cream cone or something. That is yeah. going to feed you far more than that bag of chips or that um, bag of cookies or candy or whatever it might be. So, And would the second thing then be like drugs or alcohol that seems to be coming more prominent in our our, um, country? Absolutely. And again, it's artificial joy. Mm -hmm. And so we will never feed our souls with something that is artificial joy. Hmm. So say more about how you find what is that joy. I mean, I found one way, um, but I'm sure there must be other ways that people have found uh, to to really hear what it is they want to be doing as opposed to what they think they have to do. Yes. And, I, you know, this, this brings up the conversation I had with a client two weeks ago. She had a very difficult, very abusive um, childhood, um, a lot of cult activity with her family. Mm-hmm. And um, we had done a ton of healing in the last several years about that. And... She she brought up the idea that joy is foreign to her, and mm. so we started kind of talking about joy and what it meant and what its definition was and what, what the, the whole concept was about. And what happened was actually very really beautiful because I, I bring one of my dogs to work, and she loves seeing my dog. She has a dog of her own, but she really loves seeing my dog there. And so I used that example. I said, so, okay, you don't believe that joy exists in your life, but what do you feel when you see, my dog's name is Emmy, what do you, what do you see, what do you experience when you see Emmy? And her eyes, you could see it was, it was computing. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, it doesn't have to be some gigantic kind of joy. It can be mm-hmm. the collective experiences of the little things. And I said, yes, 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 yes. So 
So she came in today, as a matter of fact, and, and she said, okay, this has opened up a world for me. So mm-hmm. it, it is that whole idea of, again, going back to the idea that, you know, we somehow have this misconception that, that we're supposed to have joy 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Well, we live in the human condition. That's not realistic. <laughs> but we also have this misconception that we can't experience joy even in the midst of very difficult things. Yes. And so I try to teach people that there is joy to be found in every single thing, even the harshest of, of situations. So that's another yeah. way to feed your soul. That actually takes me to another piece that I found along the way somewhere. I started to recognize that if I couldn't feel happy in the worst of times, I wouldn't feel happy in the best of times because I wouldn't even recognize it as the best of times until it had gone by. Yeah, beautifully stated. And and you're absolutely right because, you know, there is so much richness in the difficulties that we go through Mm -hmm. if we open up to look at them. So, you know, that's a beautiful way of saying that, Lena. I think so many of us want to push it away. Uh, Even, you know, feelings in general, I guess. I'm somebody who um, really loves feeling. I love the whole panoply of of feeling. Um, So Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of being, you know, very, very sad or mournful or... Um, any of those things, because I know that by experiencing those, I will be able to experience the joy to a much deeper level, a more colorful level, too. And it took me a very long time to figure that out. Um, but once I, I could, it was like, okay, this might not have been what I would have planned for myself, but here I am, and how can I, how can I find, um, I don't know, it's not pleasure, um, uh, patience is what comes to mind, but I don't think that's right either. Do you have a word for it? I, I would call it enrichment because enrichment, we can be enriched yeah. in the good, bad, and the ugly. Uh huh. And that's where nurses and healthcare people really excel because we're willing to sit with somebody in their worst possible situation. Right. And, and, you know, you're, you're speaking soul talk already because in the book, when I'm talking about um, the physical symptoms or the emotional symptoms or the psychological emotions, there's a whole section on the difference between feelings and emotions. And mm. what I talk about is how all of those experiences that we have are what I call symptoms of the soul, that they're all instructive. All of those emotions we have are very educational and instructive and informative if we stop to listen to what that emotion is trying to tell us. So my biggest concern is is when people intentionally try to mask those or eliminate those emotions or Mm -hmm. um, get rid of them through, like you said, drugs, food, um, you know, overworking, whatever the excess is, is, Mm -hmm. you know, because emotions are food for the soul. They, they're there to teach us yes. and educate us, but we, many of us avoid them. Yes. Yes, many of us do that. Um, we are up against a break again, so let's go ahead and take that here at this point, and then we can come back and talk some more. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer. If you're just joining us, we're talking about um, uh, soul health and um, what we need to know as, as caregivers um, to find that within ourselves. And uh, we've, we've just been talking about lots of different things on this. We talked about the um, uh, branches and trunk of the tree of this model. And um, I would like to uh, delve into a little bit more about the emotions when we come back. So um, we will see you in uh, just a couple minutes. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact Senior Executive Producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And I am Leanne Meyer. We're here talking about soul health. This is actually one of my favorite subjects and sharing this with people about um, what we can learn if we just listen a little bit deeper. I'm also talking to Dr. Catherine Kelly, and this is her work. This is what she's doing. So I wanted to delve into a little bit more about emotion. I just find there's so many people that do not want to go there at all. They would rather have a mundane life than go either up or down. So maybe we could address some of those feelings versus emotions. You know, and I think this is a great topic because, uh, you know, a lot of people use the words feeling and emotion synonymously, Mm -hmm. and I actually differentiate them a bit, Um, and I I lay this out in the book to help people understand the difference, and and I'm going to hopefully help you um, understand this over the, the radio show, too, in a very quick amount of time. To me, feelings are the experience of the emotion, the the experience we have when something stirs us. So it's just plain old the experience. But it's the emotion in which we place meaning on the experience. And Mm -hmm. if we can just allow ourselves to experience whatever the cue is, whatever the stimulus is from whatever we're experiencing, and not put a judgment on it, not put a a meaning on it, then we wouldn't want to hide from them. And because if we think about, you know, I, I know for me growing up, um, my mother could not deal with emotion. She did not like emotion. She really did everything she could to just shut that down. She just could not do emotions well. And, and it was really curious to me because it's kind of like, okay, to me, the human condition is all about the experiences of our reactions to things. And that's how we learn. That's how we evolve. But to me, what I've tried to help people understand is that the cue, the, the experience of whatever it is, is the feeling, whereas the emotion is the meaning we, we place on that feeling. So hmm. if we have been taught to believe that sadness is a bad thing or stress is a bad thing or right. frustration is a bad thing or anger is a bad thing, well, then we're going to have some, some strong dissonance or, or disturbance within us. But if mm-hmm. we could just... Simply look at the emotion and look for the cue, look for the lesson. And I talk about lessons in the book a lot. Look for that lesson of what is this, you know, feeling trying to tell me? Rather than putting a judgment on it, we would get much further in life without trying to squish those emotions. Can you give an example of that? 
Well, going back to emotional eating, you know, like I said, I do mm-hmm. a lot of work with weight management and emotional eating. I cannot tell you how many people use food because they are trying to overcome loneliness. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if people would just look at that loneliness and say, oh, wow, what is that telling me? Well, it could be telling you to pick up the phone and call someone. It could be telling you, you know, I'm isolating myself. It's probably going to be healthier for me to get out there and go to this family event or this, you know, friend event or whatever. So, so instead, a lot of people stay home and they eat because food is a very consistent companion. It doesn't mm-hmm. talk back. It doesn't, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. there's, there's such an interesting dynamic we have with food. Same thing with drugs, alcohol, any other mm-hmm. substance that dampens that emotion or kind of um, uh, erases the emotion. Although I, I don't think we can erase them, but people think that, you know, a lot of people think you can with mm-hmm. drugs and alcohol. It's that whole idea of just stopping long enough to see what that, feeling where the emotion is trying to teach you and doing something with it. Because mm-hmm. when we do something with it, do something healthy, it's not going to come back. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's that whole idea of, you know, sometimes our, our souls are screaming to us to try to inform us for what we need, but that yeah. we do everything we can to ignore those cues. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I've learned, you know, living with chronic pain, if I ignore the pain, it will speak a little louder. And oh, yeah. finally, it will speak so loud, it is impossible to ignore it. And I have to imagine that that's similar with emotion. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I, I talk to folks about, whether it's pain, whether it's grief, whether it's whatever, you know, the concern is, is to talk about the pain or the grief rather than my pain or my grief. Ah. Because it's almost like when we when we can look at it objectively, like, well, the pain is high today versus my pain is high today. There's a whole different experience we have with that. And so it's not like I'm trying to um, dismiss the experience of the pain or the you know, sadness mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. But I try to help people see that, that it, when we talk about the pain or the sadness or the whatever discomfort, we can look at it much more objectively than when we, we take it on and we personalize it or internalize it because mm-hmm. that's when we can't get clarity and get enough objectivity about it to understand what it is we're trying, supposed to learn from it. Yes, yes. And the more um, we can't uh, deal with our own emotion or our own pain, we can't deal with anybody else's either. And especially in this kind of a profession where that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're being paid to do is to deal with people's emotion and their pain. Right. And that is the perfect segue, I think, to really talking about the take-home message with this because, you know, one of the quotes in my book, and, and, you know, I I have to say I really like this quote, (laughs) um, is to know your soul is to know true health. Only Ah. then will you reach radiant living. So if, as healthcare practitioners, we are ignoring those cues from our own soul, we are much more likely to ignore them from the people we're here to help as well. Mm Mm-hmm. And maybe it's that exact cue that is going to lead you closer to what's really going on with the patient as opposed to what they think is going on with themselves. Absolutely. Because when hmm. I, I can't tell you how many, uh, how many practitioners who are seen as sort of the, the ones that are on it all the time, they use that gut sense much more than they use that intellect, which means mm-hmm. that they're in touch with that sense of who they are or their sense of their essence of, of what's going on in the situation. So, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, is that, you know, if, um, if, <laughs> if that person is not in tune with themselves, they're not going to be in tune with where that person is coming, their patient is coming from. So how do you deal with those uh, very hyper um, facts only, um, um, you know, uh, the research, the data, the, all of that, and, and looking at people who are really listening to that God and saying, oh, woo, 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 you know, it's, it's right. like it, it doesn't register for them because they can't touch it, they can't measure it, they can't put it on paper. It's not real to them. 
So I talk about the the art and science of anything. So to me, yes, there is a science to nursing. There's a science to medicine. There's a science to psychology. There's a science to, you know, we can fill in the blank. We have to have that as an informative feature in our education. However, the art of it is when we pull it all together and start using that intellectual information along with that that intuitive instinct, that that long-term experience of what we know from other people and what we've watched. Mm-hmm. So we start getting the essence of what's going on with a person, which is the art, to me, of what's going on with a person, rather mm-hmm. than staying in the science of it. Because mm-hmm. the most effective healers are the ones that can integrate into the art of, you know, their practice, whatever their practice is. So... Mm-hmm. It, it's tough because, you know, you have to be very experiential. You have to get out of your head. And yet the head is a very safe place. It's much <laughs> safer to live on our heads than it is to live in our emotions. <laughs> so um, we need both. But, yeah. you know, I, I think I think that is one wonderful thing that, um, you know, your nursing community who is listening can hear through this is how do you start creating the art of your practice rather than just yeah. the science of it? And even as you're th- talking about art, dancing came to mind to me that when you're dancing with somebody, um, you really have to sense where they're at because if you're going to ignore where they're at, you're going to get into trouble. Somebody's going to get hurt. Yeah. Um, and it yeah. occurs to me that that's kind of what we're doing when we're really present with our patients. We're yeah. sort of dancing with them. Absolutely, and and you're you're so right. I don't know how many of these uh, reality dancing shows are out right now, but <laughs> but it is funny to hear the coaches and the coaches keep telling these celebrities, "Get out of your head, get out of your head, get out of your head, mm-hmm. just flow with it." And once they flow with it, it, it they're on it. You know, it's beautiful. <laughs> but every, you know, if they stay in their heads, it's very clunky. <laughs> Yes. So, you know, this is, you know, the, like you said, the dance of patient care is exactly where I think the art of uh, healing is. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's really true. And it's sort of, you know, we even learned this, or at least I did when I was in nursing school. I can remember the lectures on this kind of thing, but hearing it and experiencing it is really a lot different. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, are there any any last thoughts? What are what are the things you would really like to leave healthcare people in general, but nursing in specifics um, about this topic? What do they really need to know and understand? Well, I think first and foremost it is going back to that quote: "To know your soul is to know true health." So, if you, as a healthcare practitioner, aren't really stopping long enough to you know, be a good model to your patients and, and kind of practice what you preach, then you're not going to really be aligned with the essence of your patients. And so, you know, the best practitioners are also the best models. So mm-hmm. it is that tuning in. It is that stopping. It is that listening to yourself. And because when we tune into ourselves, we do tune into our clients and patients much, much uh, quicker and much better and deeper. Um, but, you know, it goes back to that full part of this is I, I personally believe that the more modern we have become, the further away from our souls we mm-hmm. have become as well. And it's so important to go back to that space within us um, to listen and let it guide us to not only our own health, but also whatever path uh, we need to go down in order to be, you know, the kind of practitioners we really want to be. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was thinking about uh, a friend of mine that died uh, a number of years ago from colon cancer, but she died the day before her 47th birthday, and she oh struggled. God. Yeah, she had um, a very Catholic family, which is neither here nor there, but um, a lot of abuse in the family, and um, she just lost her way on what was spirituality. And so what she came to realize was that she felt most spiritual in nature. And so that's mm-hmm. where she would go either in her mind or in reality to nature when she really needed to uh, feel all of herself and all of what was there. And 
come to terms with what was happening to her and her body and having to let go at such an early stage of her life. And uh, I, I just occurred to me while you were talking that how many of us are separate from nature. I mean, it may be all around oh, yeah. us, but we don't really see it. We don't see that beautiful cloud necessarily, or we, um, you know, are irritated with the lightning or, um, you know, whatever else it is, we're not really experiencing it at a deep level. Whereas people lived off the land, they had to be aware of everything that was going on with the land and the animals and, you know, to survive, they had to be able to read nature and read themselves. Yeah, and if you think about all the ancient cultures, they Mm -hmm. were all very in tune with nature. The spirituality was nature. Mm -hmm. And so, again, the more modern we become, the more concrete jungles we live in instead of nature, um, we have become very disconnected. And and In fact, I would say very disrespectful toward nature in many ways, which means we're also being disrespectful toward ourselves. And yeah. it is time for us to reconnect in both with our souls and with the world around us. And um, I think that is one of the symptoms of what we see going on in our world right now is we're so disconnected from one another mm-hmm. and from our souls that, you know, I think it's just, you know, it's just a soul's way of screaming for us to get back to the baseline yeah. and get back to where we're supposed to be. And perhaps if we're listening to our own soul, we might be better at listening to other people's souls also. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's, I guess those of us who have a strong feeling for other people, it seems hard to believe there's people in the world who really don't care how somebody else is feeling or how what they're doing is affecting them. Um, I want to end on just that feeling of nature. For many people, I think um, maybe the emotions is too scary place to go, but maybe nature is a place that they can start. And um, so I'm thinking maybe that's uh, find our soul in in just whatever it is that's around us. Um, And gratitude, just really being able to look at that beautiful cloud or look at that gorgeous sunset or even just a a funny-looking tree and um, just enjoy it. So we are at the end. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, and I have really enjoyed this conversation with you, Dr. Kelly. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Absolutely. It's been great to be on your show and uh, would uh, love to continue conversations with you in the future. Sounds great. We'll keep that in mind. So until the next time. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.